From WUVT-FM Blacksburg, I'm Andy Morikawa, and you're listening to Talk at the Table. Talk at the Table is a program of IPG, Virginia Tech's Institute for Policy and Governance. Our guests on Talk at the Table help us understand community change and leadership in the global network of social entrepreneurs, building community that works for all who live together. Recorded earlier in the studio is this conversation with my guests Ben Knapp, Aki Ishida, Itzo Bukvik, and Liesl Baum, and guest interviewers Sabbath Khan and Sarah Halverson-Fried, both Virginia Tech graduate students and members of the Community Voices Committee of the Institute for Policy and Governance. Ben Knapp leads ICAT, a collection of collaborative studios composed of faculty, students, industrial partners, and community volunteers working together toward creating a -a one-of-a-kind collaborative environment for enacting change. ICAT includes five studios, Idea, Image, Impact, Implement, and Interact. For more than 20 years, Dr. Knapp has been working to create meaningful links between human-computer interaction, universal design, and various forms of creativity. His work at ICAT now includes innovative forms of creativity, such as digital storytelling to create connections and engagement with community. Aki Ishida is Assistant Professor of Architecture, core faculty member of ICAT, and founder of Aki Ishida Architects, PLLC. Aki's work is a synthesis of her interest in artistic and architectural uses of light and active public engagement of space. She led a team of Virginia Tech faculty and students to design and install the Lantern Field at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., which was one of a dozen international projects to win a 2013 AIL Architectural Lighting Award. Itza Bukvik is a multi-sensory artist and researcher. His most recent work focuses on communal interaction, integrating contemplative practice, and improving health through innovative approaches to the arts and technology. Dr. Bukvik is currently an associate professor in music technology, the founder and director of the Digital Interactive Sound and Intermedia Studio, and the Linux Laptop Orchestra. Institute for Creativity, Arts, and Technology's Impact Studio Head and a member of the Center for Human-Computer Interaction. Dr. Liesl Baum is a Research Assistant Professor at the Institute for Creativity, Arts, and Technology. She's the head of the IDEA Studio at ICAT, dedicated to promoting the development of critical and creative thinking skills. Her interests lie primarily in creating a culture of transdisciplinary collaboration in K-12 education for both teachers and students. Together with her studio team, Liesl develops programs and events to immerse learners in this very culture that is being fostered at ICAT. Welcome to Talk at the Table, and thank you all for joining our conversation today. Thank you. Great to have you here. Uh, Ben, before we talk with you all to find out more about the work of ICAT, uh, would you give us some background into why ICAT came to be formed as a part of the new Center for the Arts? Sure, I'd love to. Um, it, what's interesting, and I always say about Virginia Tech, quite unique, is that we have a collection of research institutes. Um, uh, as you know, all universities have uh, vertical colleges that focus on particular disciplines, College of Science, College of Engineering, Architecture, etc. But Virginia Tech is quite unique in having a set of research institutes that span across the colleges. Um, we have seven of them, six before ICAT was formed a couple years ago. And so uh, about 15 or 20 years ago, a arts policy board was formed to begin to look at 
not just uh, what institute could be formed, but just look to see what arts at Virginia Tech means and what we could do with arts at Virginia Tech. And from that, over the years, many programs have been um, developed, uh, two in particular. Uh, one was the CCTA, which was um, an initiative um, and originally in the College of uh, Education that became the School of Education that was looking at education and the arts. And Liesl Baum here today um, was very much involved in that initiative. And there was another initiative, what's called a cluster hire, where you hire uh, faculty in a given area or across a given theme. Um, and so a cluster hire was done um, with four faculty, and Ito Bukovic was here today was one of the hires in that, focusing on um, creative technologies. And, uh, and Ito, well, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about his background on music technology and his work there. Uh, but we also had a hire in um, visual arts. We had um, a hire in computer science um, and a hire in cinema. So those four faculty came together and, and worked together on various projects over a few years. Um, at, again, at this boundary between arts and technology and education. Um, and from that, the Arts Policy Board, uh, with the uh, new building, the new Center for the Arts, as it was called then, the Moss Arts Center, as it's called now, um, was being finally, after 20 years, um, off the drawing board and, and being built. And so they, they decided to create this seventh institute that transcended science, engineering, art, and design. Um, and so that uh, basically pulled in the CCTA cluster hire faculty and the faculty, some of the faculty like Liesl from um, CCTA into what has become ICAT. And um, from there, really, they ha didn't have any idea of where to go next. And, and matter of fact, in the interview process for the uh, director of ICAT, the inaugural director, they decided to have each one of the four interviewees say what they thought ICAT should become because they really hadn't figured out. They knew it must have something to do with PK through 12 and something to do with the arts and something to do with technology, but what all that meant and how it all would come together in a research institute, they weren't all that sure. Great. This is Sarah. Um, it's great to hear more about how ICAT got formed, and I would love to hear a little more about where each of you come from. I know everybody has very varied interests, and we've heard a little bit about what you do now, but I'm very curious about what you have done in the past that led you to become a part of this. Hi, this is Liesl. Um, and yeah, so, so I'm a, um, a trained um, middle school teacher. I taught middle school mathematics um, here in Montgomery County, actually, for several, several years. Um, and it, through my teaching, I, you know, I definitely realized that there were um, some needs that needed to be addressed and decided to come back and, and get my graduate degree, um, my PhD in instructional design and technology here at Virginia Tech through the School of Education, um, which kind of led me into this position. Um, very, very fortunate to have my graduate work kind of led into the job that I now, that I currently hold. So it's been mentioned I was part of that, that initial CCTA program um, through the School of Education, um, doing some of the foundational research for what ICAT and what the Idea Studio would entail. Um, and, and our primary focus at that point was really coming to an understanding of what critical and creative thinking meant for, for teachers and students at multiple levels, and then having that then feed into um, what ICAT would come to be. So hi, this is Itzo. Um, so I guess the best way to answer your question is that, you know, if I ever had an opportunity to change my title of doctorate, 
I would call it doctorate in insatiable curiosity. Uh, and that's because one of my motivations for being an ICAT is that I don't believe in silos. I don't believe in STEM. I don't believe in these compartmentalized approaches to education and life as a whole. And so um, I do have my background in music, if you really have, have to know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I do a lot of stuff today that does not necessarily classify itself as musical. Uh, <laughs> but um, I enjoy it nonetheless. <laughs> and I think I, I, I love the fact that I'm an associate professor and I have the opportunity to engage in whatever I feel passionate about. And I think um, ICAT, like no other place on the planet, okay, <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> in the uh, galaxy, let's just be <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, that's fine, yeah. Uh, I was thinking about the solar system, but that's okay. okay. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Um, I feel like that's the place to be. You know, that's a place where I don't have to uh, answer questions. Well, why are you doing this? You're in music. Um, and I just then do things that I love to do. I'm uh, Aki Ishida. Uh, I come um, to Virginia Tech with two degrees in architecture and um, 16 years of practice in um, architecture offices. I think what um, uh, helped me develop my views on collaboration uh, was I started to notice in architecture offices that some offices would hire consultants, um, engineers, structural engineers, or mechanical engineers, and just hand, them, hand off the design to get engineered. But there wasn't much um, exchange that went back and forth. But when I looked at works of um, very innovative architects, they, there was a really nice combination of confidence and humility in allowing other experts to influence their work. Um, I worked at office um, of James Carpenter Design, um, which is a um, studio focused on innovative uses of light and glass. And they would involve engineers from the outset of the project. Uh, they would also develop um, details with fabricators very early on. And it, I, I think, um, in hindsight, I, that was a truly interdisciplinary studio. Um, so in academic environment, um, I operate um, under that assumption that early, the earlier you involve um, experts from other fields, um, richer your projects will be. Thank you. Thank you all. And uh, this is Sabit Khan here. And uh, I'd like all of you to speak uh, to what, what does success mean to you at ICAT? How do you define success? Because it is such an interdisciplinary and you call it transdisciplinary field of approach. Uh, so how do you measure success, and what does it mean to you personally? We're doing rock, paper, scissors things <laughs> right now. Um, uh, I, I'll, they're all looking at me, so I'll go first. Um, first of all, the, the, you tripped a little over the word transdisciplinary, and I um, always bring that up because when I first came here, within months of me being here, I, I came in on a conversation with Liesl, um, and some of her other team members, and they were talking about transdisciplinary and interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary and cross-disciplinary, and am I missing any? Um, <laughs> That's it. Um, <laughs> and uh, and the, the neat thing that I really liked about the definition that they'd come up with um, of transdisciplinary was this idea that you come together and you work as a collaborative team, but in addition, you also 
return from that team a different person, that you return from that taking different viewpoints, different approaches back to your own discipline and the way you, you create. And I just thought that was a really lovely idea and one that I, um, so I use that word transdisciplinary, although it's, it's easy to trip over, but um, use that constantly. Um, metrics of success is, is a hard thing. And, and I almost um, feel like an, I'm getting asked a standards of learning question because I have a hard time with, you know, what is the metrics of success of a piece um, um, or of a startup or of any endeavor that you do? And and that's a, you know, obviously an organization has to have something to, to make them feel like they are succeeding. And and to me, my I, I guess my quick answer to that would be if, if I walk into ICAT and there's a collection of faculty and students working on projects together, then I can go home. I mean, then it, then ICAT is doing everything that I hoped it would do. And it doesn't matter to me, you know, what particular projects they're working on. If they're working together across colleges and, and across this campus, then, then I think that that's terrific. Um, so, you know, that's not as much a, a quantitative metric as it is a, as a qualitative um, metric. I, I think, though, that to me, I when I do presentations on ICAT, I do presentations on the works. Um, and you know, works are successful in their own ways, no matter what their outcome is. And, uh, and so that's, that's what I like to do is just, it's so much fun to give ICAT talks. Um, although I'm not allowed to give one tonight, because I was told explicitly not to give an ICAT talk tonight. So I, <laughs> I won't. Um, but uh, it's very much fun to, to show all the amazing projects, the amazing outcomes of, of what it means to be interdisciplinary. Well, Itzel and I had a conversation about um, success of projects just uh, the other day. Um, we had a project, our first collaboration was at the farmer's market right across the street from here. There were a lot of things that were successful, but also a lot of things that bothered me. And I know that my colleagues um, were also critical of certain things, and I could disagree with maybe with some of them, but many of them I couldn't disagree with. And what m made that project still meaningful for us was that we were able to very quickly turn around and improve upon those weaknesses at the Smithsonian. So I, it, while it's hard to put an, any sort of quantifiable number to success of each project, um, if, it, if we can keep um, developing upon the previous, I would rate that as a successful project, yeah. Pro productive. Well, that's a wonderful point because um, I constantly talk about um, systemic change and and longitudinal change, and this you know, and I always worry that ICAT sometimes could become just a series of random projects, and, and I think that's a really great example of where one built upon another and learnings from one led to something else. Mm -hmm. And with that, I think there's also something to be said about the experiences of those who participate in the events and the programs um, that we do create. You know, we're looking at in the space that we have um, over in the Moss Arts Center really creating immersive research environments, but also immersive program and event environments where our audience is is immersed in the work that we're doing. So they're very much a part of the experience. Um, and to kind of, uh, to go on, on with Ben um, saying, you know, it's very qualitative at this point. And, and for now, I'm okay with that. I know that we need to um, work towards some more quantitative measures, especially when we're working in the K-12 realm of things, um, which is something that's very much on, on the top of our priority list as we kind of figure out what this all looks like and, you know, what are those programs, what are those events, what are those experiences, who is our audience, um, and what is it that we're doing with them and for them. 
Um, but, f- you know, for me, at this point, when a, when a student comes to me and says, oh, my goodness, I had no idea that this is something that I could do, um, or a parent comes to me and says, this is unlike any experience my child has ever had before, and we will come to every event that you host, <laughs> to me, that's a pretty big measure of success, I think. And, you know, granted, again, it's, it's very qualitative, but those are the things for me as an educator that really mean the most and, and are most valuable. Um, so I'm constantly looking for those moments, um, and, and there are quite a few of them. They, they come to us quite regularly. So, Well, we had, we had one of those moments the other night. I don't know, Itza, if you want to talk about um, we, uh, he, he's looking panicked as to what I'm going to bring up. Um, <laughs> Depends what you're referring to. <laughs> yes. um, not that. No. <laughs> um, but uh, I feel better already. Uh, a week ago, Monday, we had you know again in this, this series of special experiences that is ICAT. We had a wonderful um, night of uh, contemporary music performances, and I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I thought. It was, again, there were, I, I just, I'm, what I'm specifically referring to, and I'd love you to describe the night, but it was just the, um, the feedback from some of the students that were there saying, I didn't know this kind of thing existed at Virginia Tech, and I really want to come back again, to, to Liesl's point. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if so you want to. Yeah, I think uh, I'll gladly talk maybe just briefly about that, but uh, also I want to kind of tie it into something else. Uh, but, yeah, the event took place roughly two weeks ago, and uh, and. It, Exactly how Ben said. I mean, we were. This was the evening when they were predicting um, freezing rain, and it was supposed to start right when the show was supposed to start. So we were really expecting tumbleweeds, uh, as far as our audience was concerned. Um, but we were incredibly pleasantly surprised that not only did we fill the hall, but we were repeatedly asked to bring in more chairs, and that felt really, really good because uh, uh, this is something different. This is something on the fringe of, of all of it. And I think that to have in this kind of a community um, that kind of interest is, is truly inspiring. And, and that's something that, um, I, I, you know, I, I think we are all energized by the fact that we've, we've experienced it as such and, and we are very much looking forward to, to the next event of that kind um, or have something even bigger. Um, but what I also wanted to say when it comes to measuring success, I, I guess, you know, that event could be seen as a successful event. But to me, on a maybe more selfish level, kind of tying in, in things that Aki and, and, and Liesl and Ben to some extent mentioned, one thing that's particularly interesting to me is that, and this is something that Aki and I had actually a discussion on as well, uh, and I think might, may cover this evening as well. <laughs> but <laughs> so... Uh, this classification of collaboration and, and and we were talking about this and when you think about it every collaboration can be classified um, as successful based on the success of the process and on the success of the product and it's funny when you classify those you realize you have four possibilities you have successful process and successful product you have you know, terrible process and yet successful product. You could have a successful process and terrible product, and of course, the worst of the worst, which is everything <laughs> just is awful, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and the funny thing is, to me, when I think about that chart, to me, the success. I mean, certainly, I'm very much invested in 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 creating the most successful product or artifact. But to me, the real success, personally, and I think to some extent. Um, the success of ICAT lies in the successful process. Because even if the product has failed, 
the individuals involved in that process will come back and, and, and give it that second shot, just, just like Aki was sent in at our, our, our collaboration at Farmer's Market and later at the Smithsonian. So I think to me that really is, is a great measure of success. Now, of course, the challenge is how you measure that uh, other than doing some kind of a pre and post questionnaire or <laughs> I don't know. I, I would say that the um, one measure of success in the first uh, collaboration that we did is to have assembled a great team. I think we that was a realization, um, a profound realization that I, I was brand new to the university, but I was able to somehow gather these people that shared a common goal mm-hmm. and were able to learn from each other. Um, so I, I think that's or only the, slightly crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, I'm comfortable in that environment. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be. <laughs> What do you think? Uh, what do you think motivates students and community members and audience members and whoever might get involved in ICAT? You know the folks you're talking about. Mm-hmm. What do you think interests them about it? What do you think motivates them to come? I think to one of Ito's points, or, or maybe it was Ben that made this point, is that you know the student who said, I, "I've never seen anything like this." I get that a lot um, in dealing with with younger students and dealing with teachers and community members and parents and and undergraduate students and graduate students that come that statement itself comes my way quite often saying what what is this thing that you're doing i've i've never ever had you know we work with time space and permission i've never had the permission to just do something that i'm really passionate about and and what i admire most i think about the other studio heads and and the icat affiliate faculty and and the students that do work with us is that they're here to really explore and engage in what they're passionate about. Um, and as an educator, there's a lot of value to that um, and something that I work very, very, um, very hard at communicating to students and teachers is, you know, what you can what you com- can come to and, and what you can accomplish by kind of following what you're passionate about and having the permission to do that. So. You know, I think ICAT's kind of a unique environment in that sense, and and it's kind of a no-holds-barred and very few rules, and, you know, as long as you play nicely and collaborate well and have common interests and goals and, 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 you know, work through this process together, um, we'll let you do it, whatever, whatever that it may be. Um, and and I, as a student, you know, are, are coming through through several years, um, and and as a teacher and as faculty, have never come across anything like that. And I really think a lot of people are just hungry for that permission and that experience. We're seeing just a lot of hunger for what ICAT has really really created here. So it's the Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. it's a game we're playing. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a cue from that, uh, yeah, why not? Uh, I was just curious to learn how you navigate uh, the digital divide, speaking more generally, you know, with the communities that are uh, around us here, as well as more nationally or even internationally. Uh, Of course, that factor does play in, like who has access to technology and who doesn't. So what is your view on how to bridge that, number one? And number two, uh, what steps are you taking at ICAT to address this digital divide? Sure. So, uh, if I may just steal this question for a second. Um, so, um, the way how I see this is basically, first of all, uh, freedom of information. So, access to 
tools and technologies that we develop at ICAT and making them readily accessible to everybody. Um, an example being, for instance, the, the, the project that we have in ICAT, which is the laptop orchestra, and more importantly, the K-12 component of that, that we've been working uh, as ICAT as a whole to develop tools and, and, and strategies and scenarios where we can engage kids to, to learn through technology. And, and making that technology readily available, freely downloadable, accessible, I think is one way to do it. The other way I think that we've been trying really hard to, to bridge that divide is to engage the communities which typically or traditionally have not been engaged. So uh, for instance, we have a partnership or several partnerships throughout the, the, the surrounding counties with uh, Boys, Girl, Boys and Girls Club, uh, both in Roanoke and Martinsville and many others. And maybe at this point, I want to hand it off to Liesl to talk more about those if she wants to. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, so I'll I'll second what what Ito said about the accessibility, um, and one of the experiences that we had with with a group in Martinsville, and Ben spoke to this earlier, is that you know we we tried to replicate our maker camp that we offer here locally, um, in Martinsville, and and with a group of students down there through the Boys and Girls Club. And it was an interesting reaction. I granted I wasn't there in person because I was I was kind of managing the program up here. But but the feedback getting from from the other folks that were down there is that there was this this notion of of kind of a fearful approach to what we were trying to do with these students. Um, you know, and and here we come at it um, as Ito said, as something very uh, very accessible, something very affordable. I mean, the equipment we use is cardboard tape scissors and maybe $30 or so worth of electronics including you know an Arduino some breadboards some simple wires and 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 um, other circuitry so um, I guess from our perspective it's very affordable and, and accessible and something that we can provide to those audiences um, but what we fail to realize I think often is um, not having um, experience or not having access with those materials, as simple as they may, may be and as affordable as they may be, um, there's still a divide there. There's still still some limitations that we have to work with and getting over this fear factor of, well, I'm going to break this thing that you've put in front of me, yet we work on a daily basis that, no, it's not going to break. Don't worry about it and just do what you need to do. Um, so that's something that we we have to address pretty quickly in, in any of the programs that we offer um, with the audiences with with that divide. So, and another thing that that I try to work with or or through is creating experiences that don't rely on technology in the sense of of um, I'll say electronic technology, but how can we still kind of replicate what we're doing at ICAT? without the need for all those, the expensive materials. Um, because our schools don't have them, or they have some of them, they don't have all of them. Um, and we can only go so far with, with you know, helping and supporting if we can't kind of replicate the experience um, without the expensive equipment. So that's a, that's a piece that I keep very, very much in the, in the forefront um, of, of my mind as I, as I plan and, and develop, so. Lisa and Phyllis Newbill have the, um, do this thing called Cardboard Challenge where um, basically <coughs> got a local groups just to collect their cardboard 
and bring it over, and then they make uh, games out of the out of the cardboard. So, um, so again, there's no technology involved, and also the piece that um, Itzo and Aki did up in in Washington, the, they, the kids made the stuff out of paper. Anybody could get involved. It was paper, scissors, some crayons, um, and uh, yeah, that was. And they got to be involved in in technology in the sense that they were contributing to a technology-based interaction, but but the, the aesthetic of it was not technology-based at all. And even Itzo's um, composition for it was the sounds of bamboo and, the, and this kind of natural sound, and so it, it was it was really nice interaction. And how many students did you, or how many kids, not students, but how many kids did, came through those three days? I think you said several, many thousands of kids came through that day at the Smithsonian. Forty-four. Yeah, <laughs> 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 One million. No. <laughs> no, I think there was about twenty thousand visitors, but I don't think we yeah. had a clear number of how many of them were actually kids. Mm-hmm. But you know, if I may just say one more thing, though, you know, it's interesting that you know we're talking about these different things like cardboard versus laptops, and sh- certainly there there is or versus crayons or versus rock paper scissors. <laughs> Yeah. Um, That's the next installation. Yeah. Right yeah. <laughs> but I think what's interesting is that, uh, I mean, I feel like, to me, all of that is technology. Cardboard is just mm-hmm. as much of a technology as it is, you know, as, as a scissors are or anything else. I mean, certainly there's a price tag that prevents certain technologies to be as prevalent or pervasive uh, as others. But I think really, um, I think one perhaps mission that we're, we are, I think, embarking upon is just to erase that designation that, you know, that there is the technology and that there is no technology. Technology is all around us. Uh, a piano is a technology. You know, a pencil is a technology. So all of these things are necessary for us to be creative. And so um, there's, I think, a beautiful synergy that we can capitalize on and just not worry about what makes it a technology or not a technology. You're listening to WUVT-FM Blacksburg at 90.7 on your dial and streaming live over www.wuvt.vt.edu. Great. It sounds like a really common theme running through all of your programs, too, is creativity. Um, And I guess I'm wondering if you can expand a little bit, anyone can expand a little bit more on your vision of creativity and also maybe how that expresses itself through your work at the university. Or not. Your work anywhere. <laughs> we try not to be creative as much as possible. <laughs> We're taking uh, that out of our name. Absolutely. It's, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. We, we work inside the box and only inside the box. Um, we're staring at each other. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, it, to me, it's a, it's a sensitive area, but it's not a sensitive area. It's, it's an area that... Um, is is huge, but yet an area that's largely misunderstood. Um, and I know I'm not making sense at all right now, but you know, I think about it from my perspective and and the goals for for what I would really like to accomplish with my career and and the impact that I would like to have um, on the educational system itself. And where is the room for creativity? Where the room for creativity is within all of that. Um, you know, I kind of reflect on my experience with ICAT, with with the members of ICAT, with the students of ICAT, um, with the projects in ICAT, and how that um, has really impacted my view of creativity. And I feel like it's something that's quite unique to each individual person. 
Um, it's something that can be unique to um, a, a discipline in and of itself, but then, then also can be something completely different across a discipline. Um, for teachers and students, I think there's a lot of potential because I don't think creativity is specifically defined as, as any one measurable thing that we can specifically be looking for. Um, and, you know, student A is going to express their creativity quite differently than student B. So going back to that time, space, and permission, you know, as, as educators, that gives us a lot of a lot of permission to really take a step back and reflect on what our students are doing how they're engaging, um, how they're engaging with each other, how they're engaging with with their environment and, and the content. Um, I'm not sure what that means. We talked earlier about policy. I'm not sure what that means quite yet for policy, um, but I, I love, you know, the potential when we, when we play in the creative field. Um, and again, you know, for ITSO, it means something completely different than it, than it would for me. Um, so when I don't know how to finish that sentence. <laughs> that actually leads me to another okay. question that I know we wanted to ask, which was, um, do you see ICAT as a social change agent, and how, if so? Ben? <laughs> Ben's just left the room right now. <laughs> it's, it's a hard question to answer because um, of course, we want to answer yes, and 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 we yeah. we'd love to answer yes, and I, I think we all committed to certainly um, trying to change um, the way th uh, students interact with each other mm -hmm. on campus and way they the way faculty get to work together on campus. So we do want to make a social change. It, it's something that is going to to really make um, permanent change. I Means it's, it's got to be something that happens over a very long period of time and. Um, otherwise, it's just a flash in the pan. So mm -hmm. it's hard to answer that question right now, but it's certainly the intention to create this culture of interdisciplinarity, this this culture of it's okay to work together across disciplines, across colleges. I don't know what a discipline is, but it's, <laughs> it's something similar to a discipline. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we really tr truly want to change that. Um, and, you know, even, you know, at Virginia Tech, um, we have a huge entrepreneurial um, uh ethos within a lot of the students and, and faculty. And um, I think a lot of people always, when I say the word entrepreneurship, think of merely a new app for an iPhone. Um, but it's also about social entrepreneurship. It's about collaborative collaborations between architects and, and uh, engineers and, and artists. And um, those are the really um, major new kinds of, of companies and, and entrepreneurship that we can bring by creating the social change of it's okay to work together collaboratively. And I take a look at even just the nature of, of um, the meetings that we have. I mean, even among, you know, the ICAT studio heads, the way we conduct our meetings um, is, is quite different than sitting in another meeting. Um, they're not meetings that I dread going to <laughs> because the way, that, the way that we converse with each other, the way that we interact with each other, I think there's a level of respect there because we understand this is something that's very, very difficult. And I think that creates a different type of interaction. Um, and then you look at, you know, when we interact with students, when we interact with other faculty members, when we act with inter interact with members of the community, um, there's not really, um, you know, a hierarchical structure necessarily. When when we work with middle, middle schoolers, you know, 
Ben is there as Ben. He's not Dr. Knapp. And Itzo's there as Itzo. And they're sitting on the floor cutting cardboard and, and solving problems with, with these 13, 14-year-olds. And the students really look at them as a peer as opposed to, you know, an, an instructor or a teacher. Um, and I think that creates an, a really, really nice environment that's, that's quite conducive back to your creativity question. That's quite conducive to the development of, of skills, um, you know, cr- critical and creative thinking skills. That's, that's insightful. Yeah. Good to know. Uh, now let's talk about bigger things. Let's talk talk about the vision thing, right? Uh, how do you do? You actually try and uh, help your participants, students develop their own visions, or do you actually, as leaders, I mean, of course, you've you've had the benefit of experience, knowledge, you know, and uh, in-depth immersion in your fields for perhaps decades now. So, do you actually give them your vision and sort of pull them along, or do you actually help them find their own uh, creative visions and sort of guide them along? So, what is what is your personal strategy? There's an, there's an interesting thing. Um, I'm very nervous about bringing this up because Itzo is um, trained in conservatory, so I'm going to get myself in deep trouble here. But um, we we studied um, uh, string quartets. We actually put um, uh, dots on the baseball cap on top of their heads. Um, and we looked to see, um, and this is actually going somewhere, I promise. Um, the, we looked to see how the, what the relationship is between the first violin, the second violin, the cello, and the um, viola. Thank you. <laughs> um, knew there's got to be a fourth thing in a quartet. Um, and what was interesting there is no each instrument in a quartet is critical. Um, and there is a team that works together collaboratively, but they have their own unique skills. Each instrument is unique. They're, the first violin tends to be the leader. And indeed, if you, we did, we'd do this, we would swap the first violin with the second violin. Um, and things would get a little strange in terms of how things are performed, but also interesting. And, and to me, that's, that's kind of this creative process. You have four people that are contributing in their own unique ways. There is somebody that's driving. And usually in a project, it may vary from parts of the project to other parts, who leads, um, who, who d- it's not following. Um, and they, you will, you know, I don't believe in Itzo. You have to correct me, but I don't believe like the cellist feels like he's following um, everything. But there's a rhythm, there's an empathy, there's an entrainment um, that happens between the four performers. And to me, that's a lot um, what I look at with with collaboration and the creative process. How how badly did I do on that one? <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> I just slipped him a five, so it's okay. <laughs> and. Um, do you, I mean, speaking of uh, startups and creative projects, uh, do you do you want to share any examples of student-led initiatives, which are which have been extremely successful or which have uh, tremendous promise and which have surprised you, in terms of the creativity and uh, the potential that they carry? The sound of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I have one really good um, example, but unfortunately I can't say it because it's there. This is a wonderful students that are in computer science that are working on a music um, project, and you know who you are out there if you're listening to this. Um, um, there's a, it's a wonderful collaborative project, and they they started thinking about it um, about a year ago, and they're now going to be moving into the New Spark um, space, which is a space that we have slightly off of campus to work on this kind of collaborative work and, and entrepreneurship. Um, 
uh, but I'm under NDA uh, with them, so I can't, <laughs> I can't talk about their project. But um, we also have a, a project just starting out, which we don't know how it will turn out, but we have a student-led community art project that's going to happen in the sandbox, um, which uh, we'll see how that turns out. Jackie, if you're listening, good luck. <laughs> um, and uh, there, I mean, you know, throughout all of what we do, I mean, it's, it's, uh, Liesl and I um, teach a, um, an ideation class called Create, and every single semester we have amazing um, projects that come out of that class. Um, I think one of the, the neat ones last semester was um, uh, this... Um, What's the the app called? Gobbler Connect. Gobbler Connect, mm-hmm. um, and the they basically said, you know, look, there's a problem with Gobbler Connect. Um, we don't use it. We don't particularly like it, um, and uh, so they sought to redesign how it works, and and um, and they did such a good job that the folks in student um, affairs that are involved in Gobbler Connect have taken, I think, taken some of their ideas and and begun to incorporate it in their thinking. So they, I think they've created change. You were asking about so change on campus. I think they've created change that will definitely impact the, the final Gobbler mm-hmm. Connect product. Mm-hmm. That's great because I don't like Gobbler Connect either. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I'll tell you the, the wonderful thing, too, about critique and criticism is, you know, um, Liesl and I in that class invite um, stakeholders to their, what we call their pinups. So they do two pinups and a final presentation in the semester, and we invite um, stakeholders, people that are directly impacted by their project. And we had some wonderful people over from um, student services. And, and um, instead of being defensive, they took these ideas in, and they were very receptive of these things. And we had great conversations and great critique on the pros and cons of what the students were coming up with. So it, it really was a, a great project mm-hmm. all around. And that was a, a great group of students who took that critique um, and, and didn't, they weren't defensive. They took it very, very um, literal and, and very um, considered it very carefully. And the growth that we saw in that group over the semester was pretty, pretty amazing, pretty surprising, actually. Um, and the point at which they ended the semester was something that was very promising to us. So that was that was nice to see as Ito talked about the process. It was really nice to see their growth through that process. Another measure of success in my in my book. Do you think that that ability to take feedback is part of that collaborative process that you're trying to foster? I think it has to be. I don't think these the collaborations, the successful collaborations can happen without that type of critique and without the ability and the willingness to accept the critique. And grow from it. Uh, if you know, if you're constantly in a defensive stance, you're not going to get any further than you've already been because you're not you're not allowing yourself to move forward. You're going to stay within what you believe. So, um, I think that it's necessary, absolutely necessary. Well, there's also an interesting distinction that I tried to make, even though I'm no authority in this area, that you know there there is what I believe to be collaboration, and then there is a process of production. And I think sometimes they're mistaken one for the other. I think uh, what I mean by this is that, you know, in, in the production process, you have sort of a handoff, kind of like what Aki said earlier. You know, you have one domain do their job, and then they throw it into somebody else's lap, and then they do their job. And and the thing works out happily out of after that. I mean, we look at Hollywood movie productions. That's what they're all about. But I think uh, where where the real interesting thing starts for me is when you look at the the other end of the spectra where 
not only are you collaborating, but you're collaborating in a way where basically all participants are uh, being fully aware that they're not experts in other domains, are still comfortable giving feedback to the domains that they're not experts in, and the domain experts are willing to listen to their feedback and take it into account. And I think that's, that's where things get really, really interesting. Because in part, it's also because that process undermines the importance of silos and titles and domains, which I particularly like. But also, I think it's because it requires a whole new level of comfort for the participants to, to be engaging in that kind of a process. And I know earlier you talked about how ICAT itself is um, constantly questioning itself and um, understanding that it might need to take feedback from its from itself and from the people that are involved in it. So um, I wonder if you could talk more about how you see ICAT changing and because of that and where you see ICAT going next. Well, I mean, the iterative process is hard to know where we're going because we are iterating. Um, but it, it has been a, a mantra of ours to, to very much always do what we preach, which is to be very self-reflective. And, and there's a challenge with that because, and it was interesting where the Itza used in, in production, um, at the end of the day, you have to have your, a piece out there. You have to have a musical piece. You have to have an interactive visual um, piece that's completed. Um, uh, ICAT has to perform its functions and do its it, what it's intended to do to, as a crucible to faculty and students um, as a place to be. But we, in parallel, we do have to constantly assess. And so you don't want to change too quickly too much because also you, you need to measure your successes. You can, if you're changing too fast, then you don't have a moment to reflect and, and actually um, see whether you're successful or not or failing. Um, so we have it's, it's that classic um, balance between those. But we do constantly look and and. And I, as I mentioned um, earlier today when we were talking, um, that uh, we have a wonderful faculty member from STS, uh, Matt Wisnowski, who's, um, yeah, shout out. Hey, Matt. Matt, <laughs> yeah, way to go. Um, uh, uh, who, who's actually looking at ICAT as a component of his research, and he has a PhD student, um, Carrie, who's, who's looking at that as her PhD. So studying, telling, and and when I talked to Matt very early on, I, Matt, it wasn't, you know, I told him I, I don't really just want a external analysis. What I want him is to be actively involved. And so he comes to the studio head meetings and, um, and is actively involved in giving us feedback, but from that meta standpoint of looking at, outside in um, to see what we're doing. Because it's also hard in the iterative process when it's just you or just your team to really have that external viewpoint is, is what I'm doing uh, good aesthetically, um, uh, functionally, et cetera. Any concluding thoughts? I think this has been a very rich interview. Uh, Something about yeah, collaboration, <laughs> and I, there's a lot of talk out there um, about multidisciplinary teams. It's it seems almost impossible to get major grant without listing people from multiple disciplines. And in practice, too, not just in academia, in architecture, for example, you can't get um, interview for commission unless you have um, six consultants with you. But that doesn't mean that the process is truly collaborative. So if um, 
it, we were you asked about social change. If there is something that we could contribute, is to provide some example, example or a couple of examples of how um, we go beyond just a list of um, people from different disciplines. How are you sharing your experience, you know, this iterative process with colleagues in the field, other universities? Do you get together and share stories, lessons learned, There's a insights gained? There's a giant bar in Illinois, and we all go there <laughs> and sit out and, and bury ourselves. And, um, no, we, we, it's been, and I'm going to pass the baton to Itzo, so Itzo, be careful. Um, um, but... Uh, uh, we, when I was very first here, um, uh, Kevin Kincannon from, who's the director of School of Visual Arts. Notice I'm doing all nights of nice shout outs here. Um, make sure we get everybody. Um, but Kevin Kincannon from the School of Visual Arts sent me an email saying there's this thing forming called, um, Arts Engine up in Michigan. Um, and I looked at that and it was basically, they were investigating what the role of the arts, um, and design is in research universities. Um, and uh, so, uh, coincidentally, wonderfully, um, Itzo and I are involved in this um, conference every year called NIME, New Instruments for Musical Expression. Um, and uh, they, coincidentally, they had the conference up in Michigan, so I went up there and wheedled my way and put my foot in the door um, and started talking to the Arts Engine folks. And so we became um, a partner in that group, which includes all the name drops you can want to do. It's it's Stanford, Berkeley, um, Harvard, uh, Carnegie Mellon. Um, and uh, so we became part of Arts Engine, which be then became um, what is now called the A2RU, the Alliance for the Arts and Research Universities. And um, uh, we're we, uh, one of the co-chairs of the research committee from that group. To, so that group is there to discuss what arts and design means at research universities, and that immediately introduces um, conversations with collaboration, um, et cetera. And so the reason why I was pointing at Itzo is because he and um, three students um, went to the very first A2RU student conference. I don't know if you want to mention anything about that. Sure. I mean, <clears throat> it, it was definitely an experience where uh, the challenge was very apparent, you know, that the, the organization is trying to uh, place itself and, and, and define uh, boundaries by which we can measure importance of arts, particularly in, in situations or in environments like Research One institutions, such as Virginia Tech. And so uh, I think students had a magnificent opportunity to, to experience lectures and presentations from some of the biggest players in various fields. And I think the exercises that they've been engaged with uh, very much uh, Remind me of the of the kinds of activities that we do at ICAT. That these are you know group thinking exercises, creative exercises uh, that uh, promote teamwork above all. Um, we could call it the rabbit collaboration, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> so and so for those two. That was rabid, not rabbit, not <laughs> rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> so for those two or three days that uh, that everybody was there, uh, you know, they had the opportunity to to meet students from across the campuses and then be subjected to a series of talks that, you know present them with these challenges. And in parallel, those of us who were there on the fa faculty side of things or administrative side of things, we had opportunities to exchange ideas and thoughts of how this could be moved forward. And I think there's a lot of great stuff in the pipeline for A2RU. I think 
if if everything goes well in in a very short amount of time we might see some really cool ways of measuring uh, the impact of arts and creativity in these kinds of uh, environments which I think is critical for the success and the long-term uh, nurturing of, of these domains. Yeah, and for for students listening, I think one of the neat things that come out of this as well is that the A2RU got a half a million dollar Mellon grant where they went around to a number of universities interviewing administrators, students, and faculty. And um, they walked away from here um, basically saying, we have never seen this kind of unique situation that we see at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Sure, it, it's in its early days um, uh, compared to the age of the university, but uh, but it, there's a, it's a really unique situation that we have going on here right now. And the students that attended that conference had very similar feedback as they interacted with other students at other universities involved in A2RU. They came back saying that, you know, we are quite unique in what we're doing and, and what they, they are engaged with here at ICAT as well. So that was yet another piece that was, that was very exciting to hear. So. Well, that's it for this week's show. Uh, thank you to our ICAT guests, Ben Knapp, Aki Ishida, Liesl Baum, and Itzo Bukvich. Our guest interviewers, Sabbath Khan and Sarah Halverson-Fried, for their engaging and insightful conversation. A recording of this program is available on the webpage of the Institute for Policy and Governance at ipg.vt.edu. And to you, our listeners, thank you for tuning in and making us a part of your Sunday afternoon. Remember, when it's Sunday, tune in at 2.30 to 3.30 for a talk at the table. We're here on WUVT-FM Blacksburg, the Valley's number one radio station. Until next week, think about what a community that works for us all looks like. Great. Thank you all.